day in their life. An audio drama series of the Beatles story. Hey. Right, now I'm telling you, Griff, Pete, Len, Colin, look, all of us, we got to rock it up some, you know. More rock and roll, like, keep the rock and roll going. What do you know, Lennon? I'm shopping. You don't hear broomsticks and washboards on Radio Luxembourg these days. But you don't hear uh, banjo chords either. Do you? Well, who asked you? Elvis. John! John, it's me, it's Ivan. Hey, John, this is Paul McCartney. He's a good friend of mine. We go to the Liverpool Institute together. Paul McCartney, meet John Lennon. How do you do? How do you do? (laughs) Oh no, he's with Ivy now. Well, Ivy, any friend of yours is all right. Paul? Hey, I really liked your singing, John. Come go with me making up the words. Great, well, McCartney, you fancy playing us a song in your fancy white coat? Uh, do you mind if I borrow your guitar, John, to play it? How about 20 Fly Rock, Eddie Cochran? Oh, do you know it? Sure, I'll have to I'll have to flip it upside down and show it to you this way, because I'm a bit cack-handed, as they say. Yeah, I'm left-handed. That unusual. Hey, you can tune a guitar, John. I can see that, shotting. Ah, so let's have that Eddie Cochran number, McCartney. Shh, shh, shh. Uh, okay. Hey, Rod, what do you think of him? Pete, I think I'm being replaced before my own eyes. Nah, I like him, but he's a bloody showboat. John will never go for that. Well, I get to the top, I'm too tired to rock. Listen, Paul, would you like to join me group? Weeks when they was fab. I'm Ed Shin. Joining me is co-host emeritus, as I've dubbed him, Lonnie Pena. Hey, Lonnie. Hey, what's going on, Ed? Thanks for having me back. You're our emergency <laughs> number. Call in case of emergency. I'm when here. We can't get a hold of Kit, and we can't get a hold of Darren Murphy. I'm here. You know, I'm only a stone's throw away from you. Speaking of which, we also have Kit O'Toole, Queen of All <laughs> Beatles Media. Hey, Kit. Hey, Ed. Hey, Lonnie. Glad to be back. Always a good time. Hey, hey, hey. Good to talk to you again, kid. It's been so long. 
I know. It's Seven like days. Right. A whole week. A whole week. <laughs> Some of us still do this every week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, we have another guest, Mr. Eric Howell, and say hey to everybody. We'll, we'll get back to you shortly, but, uh, you know, just say hey. I was like, hey, everybody. I'm just hanging out in the green room until Ed calls me. <laughs> there you so go. I'll just, be, I'll just be eating a birthday cake in the <laughs> green room. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to go there, and we're not going to have that guy on the show. <laughs> I've, I've had just about enough of his impressions. Of... <laughs> All right. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, good. <laughs> wow, did he turn down an interview? No, no. What I'm not fond of is uh, him putting up videos where it's him doing all the voices and claiming it's a real video. If you go on YouTube and you look under Stevie Ricks. Right. Oops. Did I mean to say that? uh, (laughs) Edit one. (laughs) Uh, The big news this week. We're getting a new collar of McCartney 3, everybody. Ooh, yeah. Get out. (laughs) If you didn't have enough colors from the, what, 15 or 16 we had a couple years ago? Oh, it's multicolor heaven there. I'm just going to break the bank here. <laughs> We're now going to get a creamy white copy of McCartney 3 in the colored LP box set, McCartney 123. It's not the box set we wanted, but it's the box set we're getting. Well, I would like the reel-to-reel version, if you don't mind. I guess we won't get that. <laughs> he should. He should just put out the 8-track, put out the reel-to-reel. Well, I mean, he's been doing cassettes. That's right. You know what? I'll probably get the vinyl, to be honest with you. But you're going to get the, the vinyl too, Ed? I'm going to get the CD. This is, The CD is reasonably priced. Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you. Baby, I'm amazed the way you pulled me out of time. You hung me on buy any of them or not vinyl no i can tell you that right now i mean cd maybe because you know when you mentioned the price for the show that's not bad i mean that's like within the realm of possibility it's unique packaging i kind of like the box that it comes in yeah i'm just happy it's not available through Ticketmaster. no kidding what it's 50 no it's 150 no it's 300 (laughs) (laughs) in service fees it's crazy. I'll pay taxes, but those service fees are outrageous. Yeah, incredible. We had that discussion last week. If you want to hear about our adventures in Ticketmaster land, you can check out our show last week. And for those fortunate enough to see McCartney on the last evening of his Got Back tour, he had a couple guests. Jersey Boys. John Bon Jovi came out and sang happy birthday to him. That was really nice. And, well, the boss himself. He bossed him his way into, what, two songs, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, three, because he, he also came back for the guitar battle at the end. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. During the end. But, 
Very cool. Yeah, glory days. That that was interesting. I can't remember Paul actually allowing somebody on to play their own song. Yeah, that was unusual. Didn't expect that. Yeah, that was a nice surprise and and interesting. They chose that one. Maybe it's straightforward to learn, or as I call that song, the "Had a Few Drinks" song, because it seems like every yeah. every other lyric in that song is "Had a Few Drinks." Well, if you have a two chord song, it's pretty easy. And I got yep. I have a feeling that's two chords, <laughs> maybe yeah. three at the most. Yep. <laughs> well, then maybe they should have done Lavatory Lil after that. <laughs> Ooh, that would have been interesting. Oh, <laughs> anyway, nice segue. And then uh, Ringo has rescheduled his 12 dates. We actually have dates for them in September. No Texas dates, of course. I'm a little bit concerned about two months in a row, but he keeps track of his voice pretty well. Ringo has never actually really had much problems singing. Yeah, not that I recall. Sounds just as good today as he did yesterday. Everything is kind of quieting down. The McCartneys are on a boat right now before uh, Paul goes off and plays Glastonbury. They're on a boat off the island of Mykonos in Greece. Wow. Are they recording or are they vacationing? It's Paul and Nancy and Mary's. Okay, leisure time. Not that much because they are back to Glastonbury. Was it that's at the end of this week or the first of next? Oh, okay. Oh, but that's he, a little sooner than I thought. Okay, it's only a couple days. Although Rusty was on the Beatles channel on Sirius XM as part of their Beatles uh, McCartney 80th birthday weekend, it sounds like they're getting ready after Glastonbury to take some time off. He was saying that he might be trying to plan a small tour for himself because he has a new release with the drummer from The Police. Okay, Stuart Copeland. Yeah, that would be a really good one. They're buddies, apparently. Nice. Come to Texas. For the time is fleeting While our hearts are beating You will shine Firefly Shadows of doubt keep us from our light. It's out now, so if you go to Rusty's, find all the details on that. Very cool. As mentioned, our guest is Eric Howell, or as he calls himself, King Mixer. Why'd you decide on that? Are you just a big fan of Hard Day's Night? Well, I can't get anything past you guys. That Most people are like... King of Wild. It's, it sounds like you're making so, like a mixing something. What is it? Are you? Are, is it a blender? No, no, no. It's King Mixer. But yes, a direct line from a hard day's night, and it'll cost you a fortune and preach your promise cases. You know it all. <laughs> Which, as I found out while looking into that this week, those do not exist in either the UK or the US anymore. Really? When did that become a non-thing? The last one in the UK was like in 1972. Tremendous. So that now it'll be even more confusion when I try to go straight. <laughs> Breach of what? A man's promise of engagement to marry a woman was considered, in many jurisdictions, a legally binding contract. If the man were to subsequently change his mind... He would be said to be in breach of this promise and subject to litigation for damages. The converse of this was seldom true. Damn straight. That's what a breach of promise case is. 
that's why in the film it's you know congratulate me boys i'm engaged and, you know, <laughs> oh no you're not not this time <laughs> exactly and that's when paul comments you know, it'll cost you a fortune and breach your promise cases <laughs> yes all right thanks oh, for that okay. see this is why i love this podcast i started tuning into this and i'm like i love how these people beetle i love how you beetle <laughs> correctly. We got in touch because you are running a half-hour radio drama, roughly, I mean, on various points in Beatles history. And it is an audio drama series of the Beatles story, which somehow, impossibly, has never existed before. So I don't really say that to just sort of like suit my own horn in any way, but you got to admit, it seems to me to be fantastic that no other entity has ever bothered to make an audio drama of the Beatles story. And, and their story is, it's just rife with, you know, fodder for an audio drama. At least I always thought so. So, you know, I kind of sat around for, I'm not kidding, like a couple of decades waiting for someone else to do it. And when nobody else did, and then the pandemic lockdown stuff started happening, I said, well, it's now or never. I'm producing it myself. And here we are. So it's called A Day in Their Life, an audio drama series of the Beatles story. Most of the projects that are out there have been full-length films. The two that I can think of, which are even remotely like the kind of thing you're doing, uh, there was a film uh, called Scrambled Eggs, which was about 35 minutes on Paul and the writing of yesterday. Have you seen that? In I haven't. States, in the States, but, it's shown up on Showtime. Uh, I believe it's on YouTube as well. But if it's film, then it takes it out of the running immediately, because this is audio only. For sure. But it's of a similar concept to what you're doing. You know, well, other, other than the fact that it's a televised short film, it's a it's a thirty minute film. And, oh, and people, I gotcha. People, right, like maybe their, they'll make more. Like yeah. there could be installments of it, which is really how you want to do it. I mean, I you know, there's if it could be done right on film, I'd have more confidence in it. But I just haven't seen that, and that's part of the reason that I went this way with audio drama. Is that it's kind of like when people say I love the book, and then they made it into a film, and it wasn't like I imagined, and all of that. John said it best, imagine, right? <laughs> so it's kind of like if you know even a little bit about the band's history or if you just kind of look at some Google photos of them at a particular period of time and get that in your mind, then you can cast the drama perfectly. This is my thinking anyway, that as long as the voices are spot on, it's written well, and the sound design is key, right? So as long as the sound design takes you into that moment, well, then you can have a fly-on-the-wall experience as if you're sitting right there when these things unfold. And only audio drama can do that. It's an area in that art form that film doesn't provide. Well, tell us a little about your background, where you went to school. Do you know Terry Hemmert, by the way? I do. We've been friends for decades. I met Terry at Beetlefest when I was a kid. And then I ended up taking some courses at Columbia College in Chicago, where I live. She was my instructor for a rock and soul appreciation course. Rock and soul appreciation with Terry Hemmert. Maybe you heard of that, Kit. Yep, which she still teaches. And I'm still her student forever. Once you're a student of Terry's, <laughs> you are a student of Terry's forever. <laughs> um, then I kept going back to Fest and seeing her there. And she has a holiday party I've gone to every year. 
pre-COVID. You know, we're just fast friends. I love her dearly. And uh, and then I started working at WXRT in production just after I graduated from Columbia. It was funny because now I'm walking the halls of the radio station and she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I work here now. So we got even tighter. And one of my first assignments was to produce Rampant Beatlemania, which was a Oh, yeah. That she would do. You know, there was like 10 hours of live on the air Beatle music and interviews and whatnot. Then it's a lot. It does. You probably don't think it sounds like a lot from a listener perspective, but you don't just hit a button and press play. It's an all day affair of production to pull that off. So I was eager and quite pleased to be assigned to help her produce that. I miss Rampant Beatlemania. That was so much fun. Wasn't it great? To listen to. It really was. And, I was uh, a big that, fan of it before I started working on it, so it was great. Yeah, so much, yeah oh, that'd be a dream for a Beatlemaniac. So that must yeah. be an incredible you know, experience, too, for you. It was. You kind of end up putting stuff in her bin of ideas, and then you have meetings, and then you have more meetings, and then you have more meetings, and then you go back and <laughs> kind of script the show, just like probably, Ed, like you're doing for this show right now. You know, you have an outline, and then you go back and tweak it a bit. More than a couple of my ideas made it into the first year and then the second year. And then I started doing this show. The audio drama of The Beatles Story was originally a radio drama of The Beatles Story. So it did air on the radio, but radio and podcasting are not the same thing. So I'm thrilled that I'm able to do this concept as a podcast because you really can get more into the nitty gritty of things you know, far more in depth. So are you still working at the radio station or? I stopped working there a long time ago. They've moved down into the loop, into the city proper. And back when I was there, they were on Belmont, which looked a little bit like a junior high school building. Then they moved it downtown and got deeper into it. It was a wonderful experience. And then when I moved on from working in the building, I still produced from home. I did parody songs. I did a lot of sports parody songs for WXRT for a good decade after I no longer roamed the halls. So I worked from home for a while, and it was great. And now we've, we just kind of run into each other every now and again, me and the XRT staff, and, and they, they are very, very good to me. And they treat me like family still, even though I haven't been in the building in like two decades almost. Wow. Very cool. Every sports station seems to have one of those guys, someone who will take the names of whoever is in the sports news and set it to whatever, Bon Jovi or something. Well, you make an interesting point that with WXRT, it being – a strictly music station. When I got there, they merged with the Score Sports Radio, so it became a sports and music station, and that was complicated. Some might say it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. That's somebody else's book to tell. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I should point out, I'm going to be the Chicago person that's trio of hosts here. Columbia College is a, a very well-respected broadcasting school in, in the city, and it really shows in, in your production in this show. We'll get to that in a little bit, because obviously you must have taken a number of courses in production, because it's so professional. Thank you, Kit. I mean, not that I wasn't expecting it to be well done, but I mean, it really, really is. And so I thought, yeah, this is definitely Columbia College graduate. Uh, I took radio production courses and things, but I have to tell you, it's funny. I really got into radio at Columbia because I just wanted to figure out how radio worked so that I could get my band's music on the air. Oh, no kidding. That's, it. That's awesome. And then I ended up working at the station that would 
have the best shot at playing local original music. That happened to a degree, but mostly what you find out is like, well, if you're just an independent artist, you're not going to get it. any kind of constant rotation airplay on your music. Specialty shows and things, sure. But by then it was too late. By then I was like in the building. I'm like, I work here now. I better get good at some other aspect of radio than just trying to hock my own music and trying to get it on the air. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I took some production classes in the course of that. Good to hear that that rubbed off on me then, Kit. For Thank sure. you for saying that. The idea of the locally oriented radio show is something we're very familiar with. A lot of our friends got some airplay, but only during the local show. Yeah, those are uh, vinyl albums. And they also had some broadcast. They had a weekly radio show. They actually used to go out and air an hour from local bands live on the air on Sunday nights. Oh, uh, cool. We got one other question before we actually get to the Beatle dramas. We're not going to talk too much about this, but you were part of the Robert Zemeckis Yellow Submarine. What role did you have in that? And have you seen any of the material that's come out? Over the last year, we started to get bits and pieces that have come out from the film. Certainly the Fab Four or with the dots on their head, you know, the mocap <laughs> outfits and uh, some of the rough animation and so on and so forth. To clarify, I was actually never cast for that. I, you know, I was almost cast back in I don't know, 11 years ago. They had a audition process for that, for the Disney animated remake of Yellow Submarine, which was to be directed by Robert Zemeckis, who, of course, did Forrest Gump and Back to the Future. and Polar Express, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> Polar Express <laughs> and, and a, a legion of other films. And also, what people don't ever talk about when they say this is that Robert Zemeckis teamed up with Spielberg to make a sleeper movie, by sleeper meaning it didn't do well when it first came out, but it's called I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yes. You guys ever see that? Oh, definitely. Love that. 1978. It's a coming-of-age movie that combines equal parts American graffiti with a road trip adventure, and it's about these kids that travel in 1964 to uh, New York to sneak into the Ed Sullivan Theater to see the Beatles. And I really love that film. It's really well made. Not a lot of people even know about it. The actual Beatle music is in it, which was unheard of for uh, 1978. They got the rights to use the actual Beatle recordings, you know, the master recordings. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got a great cast. So this was a major inspiration for me for the audio drama, which is, you guys might remember, the Beatles themselves don't appear in it, nor do actors physically. They only show, there's a scene where one of the fans is hiding in under a bed, and she <laughs> discovers that she's hiding under the bed of the Beatles suite in the hotel room yep. and then they come in and you see beetle boots under the bed like she, from her point of view <laughs> and you only so you only hear them and then later on you hear like neil aspinall and and the lads are leaving backstage and you just hear their voices like jo george is like oh, he made a scone can we get a scone or something and oh, really, really didn't like that last number lunch. and even though you only see like the back of their heads and the voices again, in this film, and I Want to Hold Your Hand, were done very, very well. So as a kid, when I saw it, I'm like, wow, that totally gave me a Beatle vibe, and I didn't even need to see them. They just did such a great job in casting the voices and then sort of dancing around that, that you fill in the rest with your mind. 
And that was a real inspiration. And well, I wonder if you could just do it on radio then. And, and then you don't have to get past the fact that the actors are in bad wigs and that you can't tell George from Ringo. That, that just <laughs> negates that problem if you put it on radio. So Ed, then you've, you've flash forward to this audition thing. Well, it, even though we can't see each other and listeners can't see us. Trust me, I look as much like a beetle as no one. There's <laughs> zero resemblance between me and, and a beetle. So even though I've been a musician for 30 plus years, I've never been in like a, a wig band or like a beetle tribute band because I would look more like Ricky Fatar from the Ruddles than any <laughs> beetle if I was in the proper costume, you know, <laughs> and I love Ricky Fatar and the Ruddles, but you know, it's just not a look I could pull off. So when this audition thing happened, it comes down the pike that part of the brief was we are doing a motion capture remake of Yellow Submarine. So it is not necessary to physically resemble the Beatles because they're going to paint over you anyway, digitally to make you look like a Beatle. So they said, it is only necessary that you capture the essence of of their personality through your voice. Mm. And as a good lifelong friend of mine said, when I told him I was going to audition for this, and then later the auditions went well and I got several callbacks, my friend said, if you get this part, Eric, your life will make sense. <laughs> Thank you? <laughs> I think? I flew out to the East Coast to do the audition. I felt really good about it. The woman that was the casting agent was the same woman who cast for Forrest Gump and a number of other excellent films. And it was just me and her and her assistant in a room. And I did my voices and all the rest of it, you see. And then when it was over, she said, so are you an actor or have you always had this gift? Which was a really good sign, I thought. <laughs> And I turned around, I said to her, well, if there's anything else you need from me, I'd be happy to do it. What happens now? And she said, well, we have to show this stuff to Bob Zemeckis. You know, we've videotaped every audition and now we have to comb through them all. So if you haven't heard from us by like the middle of December. You didn't get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. And then I left. And then a, a couple of weeks later, actually, it was December 8th. We're not going to forget that date. Right. And. I'm thinking of John and all the media is kind of coming at you with that as they do every year. And I'm just more or less just sort of feeling a little blue and meditating on that. And then they called me and he said, hey, we're sitting in a meeting with Bob Zemeckis right now. And we really loved your McCartney. I actually auditioned as all four Beatles, but Paul in particular, they were drawn to. Mm -hmm. And Toby says, we loved your McCartney. You sounded exactly like him. But we lost your audition tape. Oh, no. And that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, am I on speakerphone with Zemeckis right now? So yeah. I better watch my P's and Q's. Oh. And they just said, well, if you could just tape yourself doing that again, like just videotape your audition and maybe overnight it to us, he'll be in town for a couple of days and we'll get the tape then. And it sounded to me like they were just kind of cheerleading for me, you know, to say, no, you got to see this guy. So let's yeah. have him tape himself and do all of that. But what they didn't know is that I'm such a freak about this stuff. I already videotaped my audition oh. just in case this happened. Oh, smart. <laughs> so I'm on the phone with him. I'm like, I, I, I already did. I mean, <clears throat> I believe I have that tape. You know, I'm trying to recall about it. And he's like, great. Well, here's the email. Just shoot it to us and we'll watch it right now. I had it up on YouTube in like a private link. 
and still do. And I just sent him the link and it was thrilling to know for sure that Zemeckis was on the other end of that email when you hit send, you know. Wow. A month or two later, a friend of mine sent me an email saying, you know, sorry, here's an article about who was cast for the Beatles Yellow Submarine remake and it wasn't you. Mm. So they were like, sorry about that. And, you know, Peter Serafinowicz was cast as Paul. And that guy from uh, The Princess Bride was George. Carrie Ulis. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was playing George. And that was a bummer. And then I contacted the uh, Victoria, the woman who was heading up the casting. And she said, yeah, it's been cast, which is a shame because you were wonderful. And I forgot about it. And I'm telling you this lengthy story only to let listeners know this stuff takes forever. Like, so it was a, I'm telling you, it was like 10 months later. My phone rings and it's Toby. And he goes, hey, <laughs> it's been cast, but Apple, meaning Paul, Apple is a little concerned about the voice of the McCartney guy. Hmm. So if you can do some ADR, and here's the irony is that for listeners that maybe don't know, you know, ADR is... ADR, or Automated Dialogue Replacement, is the process of re-recording dialogue in a studio to replace the dialogue audio that was recorded on set. Now, this can be done for a number of different reasons. First, there may have been a technical problem with the location audio. Now, in some cases, ADR is used to replace an actor's vocal performance. But for most films, they're going to have an ADR guy where you come in and you say, I can't believe they took the money from the bank on Tuesday when we're ready to rob the bank on Saturday. They might notice that with just a little bit more dialogue, it clarifies the plot for the audience. Got it. And so they bring the actors back if they can to record scenes that were never shot. And that's called ADR. Okay. And at the time that Toby said, can you do some ADR? I had no idea what it was. <laughs> and I just said, oh, yeah, I can do I got you. I can do that. No problem. I was just agreeing to it, but I had no idea what the term even meant. And he goes, great. And they flew me out to New York to do voices for this film. And this is how I know who was casting it, because I was looking at a movie screen in the Brill Building, in the famous Brill Building. I was there watching these actors with the mocap dots on their face say the dialogue, like, I've got a hole in me pocket and blue meanies. What's the matter, John? Blue meanies. And then I had to overdub my voice, you know, do my best McCartney over the other fella, which was a bit disconcerting because he spoke in a rhythm that I don't think Paul would have. So it was, you know, there's like this, you have to, you have to match your voice to the other actor, but yet you have to sound more like Paul when you do it. And, and so it's super exciting. And long story long, I went home, they all shook my hand and said, that was great, great job. And then the movie never got made. As we know. Okay. So the very short version, have you actually seen any of your work in the stuff that's come out? We've been getting bits and pieces of it over the last Oh, 12, 18 months. No. Okay. So there, there, may, there may be some of it out there. Right. I didn't even think about that till right now. I'm like, hey, it might come out where it just leaked out where I get to hear myself matched up with yeah, what it, that was. It, it someone found a hard drive somewhere, which had all a bunch of stuff on it. They say that, but you know what I think that stuff is? Because I have seen some of it, but what I've seen, it looks like really clunky, bad 3D animation. The technology seems like it's from like 10 years ago and it's video game quality of the actors saying their lines. And it's not me. 
that okay. I know of. I'll tell you what it probably is, is they made a mock-up of the animation just to throw the voices on there so that Apple could see something like, well, what are you working on? And they probably put that together to say, well, here's who we've cast. Don't pay any attention to the animation. It's not, that's just a placeholder, but these are the voices we're going to be using. And I think that's what's leaked out because the animation just looks terrible. It looks, it just looks too archaic to be what they actually were working on for real. Okay, well, we spent more time on that than we thought. Let's Good night, everybody. <laughs> Let's get to your show. So half-hour Beatle dramas, you've been working on this since the beginning of COVID, so a year and a half, you're, what, about five episodes in? I'm about midway through season one. I'd like to do eight to ten episodes per season, and it's getting better all the time. I'm getting faster at it, at least. It took me a year and a half to do the pilot. Wow. So all of that Columbia College production experience, that was all done on, you know, reel-to-reel tape back in the day. Ooh. Now everything's digital. Sure. And I bought some new gizmos to make my life easier in the long run, but there was a bit of a learning curve. So I'm getting faster at it. But yeah, I'm about halfway done with season one. And you're still fairly early on in the Beatles story. How many seasons do you want to do? What Do you have a vision or you just want to kind of keep going? <laughs> Great question, Ed. Because it's not how many seasons I want to do. It's how many seasons is it just going to end up being, right? I mean, it's like the Beatles story is going to dictate how that goes. The serious goal is to do it in a linear history, in a linear fashion, and tell the story in a way that just hasn't been told before. And the story's been told a lot. So the Beatles to me is like Shakespeare. Like you can reinterpret it and tell that same thing. You know, they, they went to Hamburg and then they made a record and Brian Epstein, you know, and Raymond Jones and the Cavern and all the rest of it. But I think that an audio drama does allow you to both tell the story and receive the story in a brand new way. So I'm thinking that right now I'm in my mid 50s right now. If I keep going, I'll probably be 80 by the time they get to the rooftop. What resources are you using for the story? I mean, there's so many books that have been written, and we all know the story, but are you using any specific resource for the actual story? That's a good question, Lonnie. It's an amalgamation of so much data that I've read. I mean, I've been reading Beatle books since I was almost old enough to read, you know. I think I started, you guys might be the same, with Shout, you know, like the Philip Norman book. And that just really captured my imagination. And so I started reading a lot of those Beatle books in my youth. And then things come out, interview footage and, of course, the Beatles anthology, where they themselves are doing all the talking. And that greatly informed the direction of how I might go with it. But mostly it's just absorbing tons and tons of books. You know, you just mentioned about talking. And one of the things that struck me was just the natural quality of the dialogue. And as a writer as well, I know dialogue is so hard to write. I mean, that is one of the most difficult things to write. You know, it can come off very stilted. How do you do it? How do you craft the dialogue for the different episodes? Um, I just wing it. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, the concept of a Beatles audio drama is really just an extension of how I talk when I'm puttering around my house or when I'm driving my car or I whatever. Think- I'm just Beatle voicing all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's second nature, you know, really at this point, I've been impersonating the Beatles just to, as a personality tick since I was like five years old. So 
you know, it is this combination of what we've all read in the books and interviews and file footage is sort of fused with something that comes very naturally to me. I know that I couldn't do this kind of a, an audio drama about any other band. I might be able to do a little segment here or there, but not to this level of commitment. And that's how I approach the writing of the dialogue. It's decades of listening and repeating and absorbing anything and everything biographical about the Beatles. And then it just sort of can write itself. Dana Carvey says much the same thing. He sits in his kitchen and he writes these conversations between John and Paul. And he says, well, my wife will just come in. She'll look at me. She'll shake her head and walk away. It's like, how are you doing, Paul? I'm doing fine, John. How are you? That's great. You know, how's it going down there? Oh, it's great. I made a record with the Kanye West. You know, who's, who's the Kanye West? <laughs> oh, he's a talky singer, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's why I'm not married, having found the woman that's willing to tolerate the fact that John, Paul, George, and Ringo are joining the, her for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> so, Kit, you make a good point about the dialogue, though, is that you don't want it to just be merely a regurgitation of all that information that already right. exists out there. Exactly. And uh, even though I've been letting this idea germinate for a long time, for decades, and as I say, I had a version of it on the radio in the early 2000s. But for a podcast, the idea of making it like long form and really take your time and let it germinate, let it digest and let the story unfold. The Crown on Netflix, mm -hmm. you know, it's such an excellent, excellent example of this because I didn't even think I would find that show that interesting. And then I started watching it and it's just such a fantastic program and just a great show. And the set design on The Crown, because it's a film, the set design is turns out to be like a, a, an additional character in that show, right? If you've seen it, it's like the, mm -hmm. the sets are mind-blowing. So in my example, I'm like, well, then the sound design will be another character in my show. You have the right. voices, you have the facts kind of being reimagined. But as long as the sound design is, is killer, then that can become an a very necessary additional hook to sort of drawing people into the story. And it is such a fascinating story, right? So I love the idea of being able to get to tell that story through audio drama. It's a beautiful art form. You, know? you mentioned yeah. The Crown. One of the things that we talked about a lot on this show is that someone should do an adaptation of Lewiston in that way, particularly with the every couple of seasons, the actors change. Right. I mean, And again, the only thing is in my world, not to bring it, constantly back to the audio drama, but it isn't something that needs to change in terms of the actors because you can't see them, but I'm not against that. And in fact, a little teaser of information is that since I'm always playing the Beatles, people were surprised to learn that the role of young George in season one of my show has been recast. It was me, but when I do the young Beatle voices, I pitch them digitally it could be John saying, you know, hey, Paul, I, I had to turn, tune tune me guitar like a banjo. That's how my mother taught me banjo calls. And then I digitally pitch it. So it's like my mother taught me banjo calls so, so that he might be a little bit more like a teenager. And therefore, it's just painstaking and, and it takes even longer when you have to repitch your dialogue. But I found an actor, a brilliant actor who does Beatle voices. Their voice is just a different natural pitch than mine. And their George Harrison is fantastic. So I've recast the voice of young George to be someone else. 
probably not a big deal to you guys or anyone else, but people in my world are like, what? You are not playing all the Beatles? <laughs> nope. So you can't change it over. You can. Yeah, I could have guest voices and have someone else play the role of a Beatle. As long as the voice is spot on, it, the audience won't be put off by that. Well, especially if it's all within one show. If it's different on a show on either side of it, that's all right. Yeah, Eric, I do want to interject that, you know, you have referenced sound design several times. Well, I do, I have to tell you, the sound design for these dramas are just outstanding. Outstanding. I mean, I, I listen to the episodes that are available. Uh, I listen, as I normally listen to my music through headsets. And it's just an incredible atmosphere that you create. And I'm just sitting there. I'm getting ready to go to the fallout shelter somewhere. Come on, Harry. Jim, do you see them? Do you see them bombers in the distance, Jim? Overhead, just beyond the Liver building. Harry, this is no phony war. I hear these bombs dropping and I'm thinking, okay, what the heck is that? I live near a major intersection here in Houston <laughs> and I'm thinking someone is breaking into my house, <laughs> but it's, it's your soundtrack. It's your sound design is just so realistic and so detailed. Uh, I just want to congratulate you on that. It's, it's, it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lonnie. Hey, listen, this is something that I speaking of. So what Lonnie's, talking about, I think, is that in uh, episode two, it focuses on McCartney's youth and the McCartney family. So it's the origins, really, of the McCartney story. And I, yeah. I decided to do this because John is, is an obvious place to start with the Beatles, since he formed the band and a man came down on the flaming pie and all the rest of it. But John's background in his troubled childhood and how that created his identity in the Beatles and in life gets a lot of airtime. Paul's doesn't. It's like, for some reason, it's like Paul himself is like, I had a really happy childhood. It's like, no, you didn't. Your mother died of breast cancer when you were 14, you know, but Paul still sees it that way. That's what I find fascinating is because of the familial energy in the McCartney household. And he had so many, you know, aunts and uncles helping Jim McCartney, his father, to raise Paul and Mike, that it you know they're all gathered around the piano singing songs, and it, and this is how Paul remembers his childhood. It was framed very differently than the confusion of John's. Um, John also had a lot of that. He had all of his aunties. His uncle was a dentist and gave him you know a hundred pounds for his birthday, when that was an unheard of amount of money to give to a kid. Still is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, so you're right to say that, Ed. It's, on paper, it's not like John had it rough, but it's psychologically, yeah. clearly he did. And I think that Paul's upbringing really helped him to have this sort of armor that it's a really unique thing. It's like armor through positivity. Like Paul's positivity is his armor. And I have to echo Lonnie here. Yeah, that episode with, with you know his parents meeting during the air raid, the dialogue, the sound. Yeah, you were absolutely there with them. I thought that was outstanding. Uh, and I also thought your development 
of Mary McCartney as a character, I thought was excellent as well. And the way you were able to kind of go back and forth in time from when they met, even though it was just all audio, being able to kind of be with her. She was, you know, you, I could visualize her on her bike going to the different stops. I mean, that was so effective and nice uh, just so impressed. You look very fetching in that uniform, man. Heading <laughs> home, love. <laughs> and be careful on that bicycle now, Mary. I will, husband. I will. <laughs> Congratulations, Mrs. Caldwell. Now, don't overdo it. Plenty of bed rest for a new mother. Now, we've got another to deliver today, so I must be off. Bye. Plenty of rest, Mrs. Caldwell. God bless you, Mary. That's so rewarding to hear that. And that was a real thing where I'm like, as you might imagine, no pun intended, she's on a bike. You know, she was a midwife and she assisted mm-hmm. in home births, Paul's mother did. And she rode that bike all over Liverpool, as, as she says in the show, Merseyside to Norris Green. And if you look at a map, they're not close. <laughs> you know, right. like there's a lot of ground covered. So to be able to get that in your mind where you're hearing the bike panning from left to right ear very quickly while there's traffic sounds and she's saying on your left. Um, And so it it took a long time, but, and sometimes you don't know when you're making this stuff, if what is in your mind as the person creating it is going to transfer to an audience and are they going to pick it up? So thank you for saying that. Very effective. And it's, as you said, that that's the sound is just as much of a character as anything else. That's very well put. And that's one of the main things that makes your radio drama so effective. And I think that probably sight unseen, the concept of it, you know, there's going to be some resistance because I've had friends that have known me for a long time that said, yeah, I haven't heard your show yet. And I'm like, well, it's been a year. (laughs) Just give it a listen. (laughs) And then they'll say, okay. And this has happened to me where they've come back and they've said, I apologize. <laughs> I thought it was going to be you just doing really bad British accents. <laughs> and so I hesitated. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I can't blame anyone. How how do you know until you know, right? Sure. And then they listen to it, but then, you know, they they got it. So I'm I'm very very grateful to hear that and to hear that you guys get it too, you know. Thank you for that. It's awesome. It reminds me of back in the 70s before the VCRs. I would record stuff off TV and just have it on cassette tape. Mm -hmm. And that's all I had was the audio of the TV series. I remember uh, recording uh, the Beatles on, uh, was it David Frost (laughs) on an audio cassette? (laughs) And just just the visual of that. uh, Let me ask you, what comes first? The dialogue? Uh, I guess it would be, right? And then you put all the effects in after usually yeah it's funny because it is kind of almost like songwriting when people say what comes first the lyrics or the melody but sometimes your lyrics are really driven by the melody and other times you have the lyrics first right and 90 percent of the time i'm scribbling a scene and getting the dialogue together and then you begin to flesh it out with sound but then there are other times like down in the bomb shelter the episode we were just talking about which is for listeners if they're not sure of what we're talking about it what would become Paul's Auntie Jen. Auntie Jen had a housewarming party in the late summer of 1940. And Jim McCartney's there 
Paul's dad playing piano. He was a bachelor. The McCartney family's there. They're all having a big party in an Irish sense. They call it good crack. C-R-A-I-C. Good crack. And there's good crack happening in the McCartney family. And then the bomb sirens go off. And the Blitzkrieg was one of the worst assaults on Liverpool that they endured. And they all rushed down from the house party into the bomb shelter. And they spent who knows, but I'm going to say at least eight hours down there, maybe more, fearing for their lives. And one of the people besides the family who was down there in that bomb shelter was Auntie Jin's house boarder, someone who was renting a room in the house named Mary Mohan. And Mary Mohan, who was a midwife at Walton Hospital, ended up down there fearing for her life, talking with Jim McCartney, who also was fearing for his life along with everyone else as bombs dropped all around them. And they got close real fast, you know, in that circumstance. And that's not unique to them, right? Britain in that time, there was probably a lot of marriages that happened quickly when you think that any second you're going to die. It accelerates your decision making, right? There's no messing about. And the head nurse in the maternity ward. Oh, well, everybody down here, take note. If anyone takes any shrapnel tonight, Nurse Mary here will pull it out. <laughs> Jim. Well, you got the force reps, haven't you? <laughs> will it be all right, Jim? Will we really be all right? Stay close, Mary. We'll be okay. We're all right now, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Jim. I, um... I feel... I feel safe with you. Yes. Stay close. Stay close, Mary. So, Mary Moen of Ireland, have you never married? No. So then they come up out of the bomb shelter, and I think they were married within like eight months after that incident. Well, I mean, that's the reason why Mimi married George, really. I mean, was because of the war and, uh, you know, no certainty as to what would happen. Right. Right. It's a generational thing. So two things. That scene I knew was going to have bomb shelter echo. Like, they got to be down there in the bunker and there's going to be bombs going off like crazy with a bit of respite and then boom, 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 boom. Here they come again to give you that fearful feeling. That was driving that scene. So in that instance, to answer your question, Lonnie, the sound effects almost drove that scene, whereas other scenes could be the opposite. Uh, What freaks me out through doing this, through kind of taking the engine apart and, and living history in this audio drama scene is it made me realize that the yin and yang of circumstance without the atrocities of World War II, we wouldn't have the Beatles. Yeah. You, don't, you can't really celebrate that, but it's just a fact. If Jim McCartney wasn't down there in that bomb shelter with Mary Moen, he p- could have remained a bachelor for the rest of his life and Paul wouldn't have been born and therefore no Beatles. So right. the crazy circumstances, uh, uh, almost the seeming randomness. And as George would say, the light and the dark, the yin and the yang, the... The, uh, what's it, what is that thing you said in the anthology when they said, people ask me, what, what's it like to be a Beatle? Well, what's it like not to be a Beatle? The Paul and Mary episode is great, although it's a real shame you didn't find a way to do a Julia and Alf meeting. Ed, we're only halfway through season one, my friend. Don't give it away. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Ultra Keep Ultra listening. Is out of your chronology, but you do seem to be dipping back and forth in time at least a little bit. Correct. I think Kit said that too. Like in that particular episode of the Bombshell, there we're starting with Mary getting the news from the physician that she's got breast cancer and they're going to have to operate immediately. And then you go rushing back in time to tell the story of how we got there. So it's a bit like Lost, except there's so far there's no flash forward yet in my show. But the entire show itself is obviously a flashback because, listeners, you're hearing something that took place 50, 60 years ago. So I haven't flashed forward yet, but we can always flash back. You can flash back within the flashback. And this is a beautiful thing about having a series instead of one movie or one long audio drama is when I make mistakes or I omit things. <laughs> and I haven't omitted the origin of Julia and Elf. I haven't. That's a plan, Ed. That is a plan. Okay. But let's pretend that I did. Then I would just be like, oh, well, I guess I got to write that episode <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> You can always flash back. That's my point. That'll be in season three, folks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you heard it here first. I mean, you could be in like season eight and they could be like meditating in an ashram in Rishikesh. And then you go into their mind of like, well, what are they meditating about? They're not supposed to be thinking about anything in particular. And then John's mind is like, whoosh, right back to, <laughs> to how his father and, and mother met or something, you know? Yeah. This is what I like about the art form. It's not poking fun at the Beatles. It's not saying anything disparaging about them. It's not sensationalism for sensationalism's sake. It's not audio clickbait. It's none of that garbage. It is my heartfelt love letter to this band that we love. And you can do so many things with it to honor that. That's my goal with audio drama. And speaking of Julia, you know, I think your Julia is probably one of the better fictional representations we've seen because she's just such a hard character to nail down. Yeah, I got lucky. And that actress, she's great. Her real name is Jude. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's emailing me at Judith. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm starting to type her an email about uh, the the upcoming recording session. I'm like, hey, Jude. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, she didn't make mention of it, but I'm like, your name is Jude. You have to be in the show. (laughs) So that's a perfect intro. Why don't you talk a little bit about your cast? I mean, you are a lot of your cast, but there are many other people involved. Thanks for saying that, because when it was on radio, when I had a short radio version, yeah, I did everything. I did all the voices and stuff. And, you know, long form podcasting really changes the game. It was ridiculous. I was doing anti-Mimi and pitching my voice, you know, when I did it on radio 20 years ago. So it just sounded like a Python sketch. (laughs) But I'm bump. It did not sound legit, and it certainly didn't do any favors to Auntie Mimi's legacy. But through the internet, you know, I've hired online actors, mostly from the UK. Some are defectors, and they live in New Zealand now. Some are local here in Chicago. But really, you have the world at your disposal to answer the call and be in the cast. So I got really lucky. I've worked with some marvelous people, and I just have done it all online, and nobody's ever been in the same room or met each other at all in this process. It's kind of just like what we're doing right now, you know? That might be something to do at a fest sometime, is to get as much of your cast together as you can. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be great. And not to mention some of the guest speakers that are there at the fest. It's like if I can tighten some screws here and finish the show and make it respectably well-known enough, or maybe they'll just do it. I don't know. But you can believe me. I want to find like Pete Best at the festival and pull him aside and say, look, I'm in room 240. I've got all the recording gear. I need you to play a janitor in Hamburg. We'll pitch your voice accordingly, right? And actually, I'm about to drop the bomb on one of my mystery guest voices. I have a mystery guest voice in the pilot episode when the boys in the Quarrymen play the Garden Fate. The anniversary of that is coming up on July 6th, uh, where the day John met Paul and was lucky enough to get a, a special guest voice that we've been calling the mystery voice on the show. And I'm going to reveal to listeners who that mystery guest is right around July 6th of this season. Oh, um, but it's good stuff. You guys have heard the show, so you'll giggle in delight when you find out who it is. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. So, so stay tuned, people. <laughs> stay tuned, people. And, and I, I can drop one major hint, which is the guest voice was actually there on premise on July 6th, 1957, when John met Paul. Wow. You said that we need to ask you about the Eddie Calvert incident. What is that? <laughs> well, okay. It was a, that was an organic seg right there, Ed. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I asked you specifically to ask me about this mm-hmm. because it's such an insane story. All right. You ready for this? So you guys are asking about dialogue, how I write the dialogue and, you know, that process. And yes, a lot of it is stuff we've all absorbed over the years in books and other media. But what I do is I will map out ideas, you know, just bullet points or as you, as Kit, as you know, they call them beats, right? In the writing, as you guys might know. Yep. So there's certain beats that I know I got to hit in a given episode if I want it to have rising action and falling action, et cetera, et cetera. And in the process of finding my beats, I'm reading, I don't know, a dozen, you know, probably got a hundred Beatle books here at the house plus the internet, but I'm just kind of recombing through that particular area of the band's career. And when it starts moving beyond where I'm at in the episode, I put that book away and I pick up another one and I reread like that author's research and perspective about what happened. And then I read another one and, and, and I pull out my highlighter and I ruin all my books, right? And I just <laughs> scribble through them all until a picture starts to emerge because certain things we all know are fact or told as fact. It seems like we're in this period in Beatle history where people are putting out books with the sole purpose of dismantling those legends. Their sole purpose is dismantling the legend versus the truth. So there's certain things we've heard about for years where now books are coming out like, that's not actually what happened. (laughs) Well, I mean, when John met Paul, it wasn't actually at the fate, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. Like it was like a fish and chip shop or something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because Paul was delivering newspapers and he says that's the first time he ever actually talked to John. Right. Or was he drunk when Paul met him at the fate? You know, he had a few beers on him and then that ballooned into Lennon's hammered. Like things have that way, right, of snowballing into legend and myth. And there's a lot of demythifying going on. And I'm fine with that. But 
what's that saying? Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So (laughs) a lot of it we know is myth being dramatized in, in, in audio drama. And then there's other things I'm dropping in that maybe aren't so well known, but I'm hoping will still flesh out the period that we're in. We're obviously in mid fifties to late fifties origin period of the Beatles. And that's a way different thing than 1963 or Hamburg even. So I'm trying to sprinkle the story with enough of that data to really pull you in. And one of the things I discovered was that Jim McCartney, Paul's jazz playing, piano playing father, trumpet playing father, was really into this guy named Eddie Calvert because Eddie Calvert was a trumpet player in the UK and he had a hit somehow. He had like a resurgence hit, one of the biggest hits of his career in 1956, which allowed Paul to be like, hey, dad, I so like that Eddie Calvert song. And, and then Jim's like, Eddie Calvert. So they could bond over this thing like any parent. You know, you're not supposed to like the music that your kids like anyway. But Eddie Calvert became this thing apparently that Paul and Jim were both delighted that he was on the BBC with a hit. And it was some sort of instrumental trumpet number, right? So in my show, when Paul, uh, as you guys may know, spoiler alert, his first instrument was the trumpet, right, that his father gave him. Which Paul was so excited about. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and I you know, again, I sort of dramatize that where Jim flips open the case and goes ta da, <laughs> and, and, and for his happy fourteenth birthday, son, and Paul's like, oh, it's a trumpet. <laughs> yeah, great. So he's got to learn this trumpet, and so I, I do the sort of a montage where he's learning, he's getting better, <laughs> he's getting better, and in the middle of Paul being able to carry somewhat of the melody of when the saints go marching in. I was reading this thing about Eddie Calvert and how they both love this trumpet playing guy. So I just threw that into the script and I had Jim say, you're getting better, Paulie. Ah, you're a natural born Eddie Calvert, son. Keep at it. And that was it. Have another go. When the That's it, son. You've got it, Paul. Ah, you're a natural born Eddie Calvert, son. <laughs> Stop staring, Mike. <laughs> And I was writing this and and it took about a year to do this episode that I'm speaking of, the second episode of the McCartney family. And so I hadn't released it yet, but this is the world that I'm living in at the time. And a friend of mine sent me a podcast that Paul was guesting on. No one knows that I've got this fixation with Paul's childhood and and (laughs) origin story except me. And then I jump over and listen to something modern, which is this present-day podcast that Paul was on as a guest. And they asked him, so what are you listening to (laughs) these days? And he goes – it was in lockdown. They said, what are you listening to during the lockdown? He goes, "Um, I've been listening to this fella – Eddie Calvert. <laughs> I like him. Eddie Cal- a bit of Eddie Calvert. And, and the host, they were silent as they would be because they're like, who? Oh. <laughs> they had like no follow-up questions about that and they moved on. But I'm like on the treadmill listening to it like, <laughs> Originally, I'd been given a trumpet by my dad oh, really? who was a trumpet player. 
when he was young. I just read the other day, so was Elton's dad was a trumpet player. So really? we, we got a lot of connections going. Wow. Um, but my dad gave me a trumpet because it was very fashionable then. It was the sort of, there was a film called The Man with the Golden Arm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a, a big film and there was a trumpet solo. And there was a guy who was very big at the time called Eddie Calvert. And I mean, I went to see him on the Liverpool Empire. You know, he was that big. Um, so trumpet was a great thing, but I realised I'm never going to be able to sing with this thing stuck in my gob. So I asked my dad if he didn't mind if I traded it in. So I did and swapped it for a guitar. Guitar. A so that was guitar. what I wrote. Uh, yeah, six string yeah. normal guitar. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. I love it. I love it. It's it tells me in some weird way that I'm on the right track, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I think you are. And, I, and I'd like to believe that Paul would hear, you know, my show. And in, instead of, you know, cease and desist army of lawyers coming out, it'd be like, this fellow knows that I listen to Eddie Calvert with me, dad. We will not sue. <laughs> well, they, they have nothing to sue you over. I mean, no. honestly, you're you're not using any of their music. You're not using any of their intellectual property. Well, right. I mean, you know, rights to life is a, is a thing. But when you're a public figure on the level of the Beatles, it's, you know, nobody would, would bat an eye if I said I'm doing an audio drama about Abe Lincoln. It's like, is Abe Lincoln's family cool with that? I don't think that would be the issue. But for some, you know, the Beatles, I get. So, somewhat of a concern with that but you know and regarding the music we're in the early period of their career so we're really talking about chuck berry we're really talking about carl perkins we're talking about elvis we're talking about everly brothers and all their heroes we're talking about lonnie donegan lonnie oh that's right and eddie the trumpet player <laughs> yeah <laughs> eddie calvin i didn't but i didn't use his music but for the some of the other stuff yeah i'm i'm licensing it properly and i'm paying through the nose to do it because i want to do it legit and sooner or later you want to see clark kent become superman right like the eventually it has to lead to yeah 1962 will start to be an issue for you i think when they start yeah so you know we'll see what happens but i i am I think it's worth saying that 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 is the long game goal of the show is to build it and to build the respect and and to monetize it in a way that allows me to be able to afford to make those kind of deals and get the music in the show. At the end of the day, it's all about the music and the story behind that music. So I have to have some of it in there. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that brings us to our final question then. You're not doing a Patreon right now. Right now you're giving away the episodes for free on your website and on YouTube what are the plans? Well, my plan is to always have it ad-free. Who wants commercial interruption, right? So I'd like to just make it where you just listen to it and it's free. It's all free. It takes me years to do it. Who cares? People don't care how long it takes me to do it. They care if it's good, right? So I'm hoping that uh, that it is good. In exchange for that, there's some different ways that you can support the show with a donation. There's various levels. I did a crowdfunding thing, which was successful enough to get me this far, you know, to keep doing it. So crowdfunding is one way to do it. And Patreon would be another. I have not established the Patreon page yet because I've been working on the show, but there will be a Patreon coming up soon. If you go to Beatledrama.com, which is where the show lives currently only, at Beatledrama.com. You can certainly donate to the show that way. 
in in whatever monetary way you choose. Guys, you got anything else before we wrap things up here? Well, just that, as I said, I just think it's such a unique way to tell Beatles' story, and I think it's also a great way to bring radio drama back. Amen. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's something that my parents talk about so much, and really, listening to it, I mean, I was binging it all weekend, and uh, (laughs) I really got caught up in the story. I mean, and of course, I know what happens, but but it really just the dialogue, the the production, the sound, everything we've been talking about. It really sucks you in. I thoroughly enjoy it, and I really uh, do encourage people who are listening to check it out. And I just appreciate the the hard hard work you put into these episodes. That is marvelous to hear. Thank you. I have to echo Kit. The production is phenomenal. I urge folks that are listening to go to Beetledrama.com and you will not be disappointed. I think your episodes run a good time as far as running time, 20 minutes at the max. That's right. Some of them go 30. And I think the one that I'm that's about to drop in a couple of weeks is 30. Well worth the listen. To me, I'm a stickler with the I guess the soundtrack, as we just talked about, the effects and everything is just phenomenal. So I applaud you, Eric. Thank you, Lonnie. Thank you, guys. This was such a treat. I wish we could talk. Oh, I guess we can. We just don't want to bore the listener. (laughs) We can keep talking. (laughs) All right, Eric, we've given it several times, but you want to give it one more time, let people know where you're at and how to get a hold of you? Sure. So the show is called A Day in Their Life an audio drama of the Beatles story. But that mouthful can be found at beetledrama.com. And you can send me a postcard, drop me a line right there from the site. Uh, and you're also on Facebook if people want to reach out to you. Yes, there's Facebook, which is a day in their life. So there's a page, but then I'm also dropping like daily TikTok videos too. And that's been kind of a, a blast to engage in the short form with so many people of all walks of life, but certainly younger people about the Beatles. They're loving the show there on TikTok. I just have like daily one minute little snippets of it there too. Well, okay. That leads us into Lonnie. When you're not guest hosting with us as co-host emeritus, you're doing your own TikToks right now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I actually am. It's just surprisingly for the past, the past uh, maybe eight weeks or so. Uh, I got on the bandwagon, and it's a way to show off, I guess, to a great degree, my collection. Uh, I've been collecting Beatles for the past 50 years, collecting vinyl and memorabilia. It's fun. I've gotten great response. I have uh, over 1,000 followers, folks. (laughs) Nice. Way more than me, Lonnie. I saw that just the other day. I forgot. I didn't put that together. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's you. You're the guy with all the paraphernalia. I'm VideoFab01 on TikTok. Now, Kit, you're uh, on Talk More Talk every other week. Yes, indeed. Every other Monday, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, you can check us out on our YouTube channel, Talk More Talk, a Solo Beatles video cast. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook uh, under the same name. We're on Twitter, Talk More Talk One, the number one. Our next episode will be uh, by by viewer request, another listen, we are finally going to tackle driving rain. We've been avoiding that. <laughs> Yep, we've been avoiding it. Uh, I've been avoiding it, but we're going to do it. So that will be June 27th. You don't want to miss this one. It's going to be a fun show. Guess what? Ken Michaels is going to love everything. I know. (laughs) Joe and I will 
I think we're going to be the wild card. So you're going to have to watch it and find out what we think. I think Tom, I don't think he quite loves that album. Yeah. I mean, it's not his favorite, but yeah. What will Jorai say? Just going to have to tune we'll in find out. find out. <laughs> the other big announcement, I'm going to the fest. So Woo! we'll see you in <laughs> Chicago. And we're doing a panel yep. along with uh, Andy Nichols of uh, Two Legs. Yes, indeed. The topic to be determined. We're still figuring that out. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Lonnie and Kit, for the last two weeks. John is driving back into his home as we speak. He's I talked to him earlier today. Thank you, Eric. We're looking forward to more episodes. How long do you think it's going to take you to get out the rest of this first season? Um, hoping to get season one all in the can and released before the end of the year. I can tell you that episode five is going to drop in about two weeks. So stay right. tuned. All right. Next week, John Stone is back. We'll see where we're at. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Be safe, folks. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Keep listening, friends, because on a day in their life, the quiet one speaks, the cavern stage creaks, the quarrymen peak, and one lucky horse race leads to Pete. Tune in to Beetledrama.com for the next gear episode, and in your mind, you'll see a world that reintroduces you to the act you've known for all these years. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.